Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Score, the podcast. The only show taking you inside the studios of the world's most celebrated composers and musicians. This is a special episode of Score the Podcast. I'm your host, Kenny Holmes. I'm here with Robert Kraft. Hey. Hey, Robert. And, uh, of course, our executive producer, Mash Raider. That's me. Hey, guys. Uh, I'll explain that really quick. Somebody on Twitter (laughs) sent us a message, and they thought Matt's name was Mash, (laughs) M-A-S-H, Raider. Yeah. Mash Raider. Yeah. And they said, oh, oh yeah, real. It's, it's probably just a Hollywood name. A Hollywood name. Right? I've already <laughs> copywritten it for a new video game, actually. Mash Raiders. Is... My brother well, said it sounded like uh, somebody on Thanksgiving who's in the kitchen too much. The nice. Mash Raider. <laughs> Mash Raiders, right. That's me around Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned, this is a special edition of Score the Podcast because we are coming up on the one-year anniversary. Actually, we, we are just hitting it of uh, the theatrical release of Score, a film music documentary. And we wanted to, uh, you know, we have a lot of people asking us questions on our social media about things about the production of the film and reasons why we did certain things. And we did have one director track on the Blu-ray that we, that's on our website. By Mash Raider. By, yeah, featuring Mash Raider. Um, but we decided that it would be cool to kind of get some of our key uh people from the crew together and, yeah our uh, production was kind of unique on the whole the whole uh movie that we put together and yeah, over a couple crew. years we had a lot of you know different different kind of strategies not just in doing the 60 something interviews but also in in just assembling it all uh, yeah so there's a lot of interesting things that didn't make the uh the the collector's edition of our our blu-ray dvd um that's on our website score-movie.com um and that's what we'll be playing here along here. But there's uh, hopefully a little uh, a little insight that everyone can yes. lend. So we're gonna um, we're gonna watch the film, and we'll be starting the film at the five minute mark of this podcast. Exactly at five minutes, we're we're about two in now. And we actually have a guest with us today is one of our executive producers, John Wilbanks. Yeah, hey, hello, hey, everyone. Hey. John was a producer was was instrumental. Pardon the pun. On uh, <laughs> on the movie um, uh, as a producer and and helping us navigate a lot of different uh, logistical things and also creative things down the line. So, um, John, Just feel business free business aspects to... and distribution aspects. Yeah, and if John, you were uh, a Kickstarter backer, you probably heard from John at some point because he was Almost instrumental definitely. of <laughs> making sure all of that stuff was delivered. And and if you didn't get something appropriately or on time. Send your hate mail to Robert Kraft. <laughs> <laughs> Darn, you beat me to it. Hey, Matt, I was wondering just before we roll. It's MASH. Fight, and MASH, just before we roll, um, MASH Raiders of the Lost Ark, in our past year, can you just roll through a couple of the highlights where score, I know we had some great accolades on iTunes yeah. and We've had Amazon. a really good run. You know, over the last last year we came out in uh, in June of last year and did a a rolling release of the mm. film. So we started in New York and LA 
and moved into a bunch of other cities all through that process. But we were really fortunate. Um, we and countries. Really strong reviews starting out, which was a, a relief because we were all very panicked. I but, framed uh, the New York Times review in my house. And then we, we were a New York Times critic's pick. They gave us a, a positive review. And, you know, of course, there's there's plenty of flaws in the movie, too. But um, we were, were fortunate to come out with most of our reviews being positive. Matt and I were in New York with Bear McCreary, and we grabbed the New York Times off mm-hmm. the street that day and found it. We, we saw that the article came out, the review, um, but then finding it in the physical paper, that was, mm-hmm. a, that was a pretty cool yeah, moment. Yeah, seeing what we've been working on for a couple years on that page. So anyway, we, we had a, a, a very strong run at a lot of film festivals. We're lucky enough to win awards at uh, eight or nine different uh, film festivals. Some of them we were able to go to, some of them uh, we weren't. Our focus has been trying to get the film into different territories so people all over the world can see it. Um, and you can, you can order the film through our website any place that we don't have some distribution in place, uh, but a region-free, uh, right? Blu-ray. A region-free thing because that's that messes up uh, uh, like free-range DVD chicken. players for. <laughs> I don't think it's the same thing. Region-free but. Blu-ray and an NTSC formatted Region Zero DVD. There you go. I think that the first episode of Mash Raider is called Region Zero. <laughs> <laughs> Should we? You guys want to count it down or something? Three, two. One play. Go. All right, here we go. All right. Epiclef Media. There we Looking go. The Matt, logo. what's the the name Epiclef? Let's start with that. We made it up. Okay. <laughs> there's no. Uh, there's nothing to it there. Uh, I think on, of it as an epic clef. You know, yeah. like there's the G clef, yeah. and there's the bass clef, and there's the C clef. There is an extra F at the end of that. Just to confuse people. Just to confuse people. We, we oh, were yes. saying that it's the like the notation on sheet music, that the, the F means, uh, you know, with with uh, with strength or with gusto or forte. whatever. Forte, double forte. Forte, yeah, right. Oh, Malibu. I remember this day. Are we hearing? Which day? A oh. couple times we went up there. Yeah, but the, the those uh, opening shots were it was a really cool uh, sunset that day. Marco Beltrami. The shot is so overexposed. Now I see it every time. We didn't when we first <laughs> shot it, but all this guy is so just blown out. Shout out to the guys at Blacklist for coloring that, <laughs> helping clean it up a little bit, right? You know, it's interesting, my experience watching this the first time, I had a somewhat different perspective than everyone else in the room um, because I had specifically asked to wait to see the sequences until um, you know, a, a rough cut was already, was put together so that mm-hmm. I could come in and, and kind of be that objective uh, a couple set of eyes. In, and, right? Yeah, it was, I think it was version, I think it was the, the third version, I think, was when you guys brought me in. And, yeah, right, right, right. Um, and... Uh, Keep going. You're good. Oh, oh, sorry. We're that setting we had... levels of the microphone as you're going. Oh, sorry that we had a technical issue. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought that this was such an interesting hook as a sequence, and it's not what you expect as an opening shot or a sequence for a film about music. Uh, but then you see this incredibly uh, creative, kind of ghostly uh, you know, machination of Marco Beltrami here, and I think it really sets the tone for for what the movie is and uh, the ride that we're about to take people on. Well, this scene was not the opening scene of the film. In the first probably five or six cuts it started out with a rocky sequence and uh <clears throat> i remember our cinematographer nate our, our other producer who uh, couldn't be here today um he he brought up the idea what if we start the film with this kind of obscure you know something that like a tease ahead of just something really weird that you're not yeah, not expecting intrigue. 
and uh, we we threw it in there and we watched it, and then it went to black, and and you know the Rocky thing started after that, and it was like, wow, that was kind of a what to expect, you know, because a lot of movies uh, about mu- music and stuff like that, it doesn't, it's not going to start outside. So it was an interesting yeah, play. You would expect. I thought it was great, yeah. great choice. It's also a little bit. Uh, there's a story that Hans may tell in this. I can't remember if he tells it because we talked about it, but I don't think we captured it in this final version of the film. How Gladiator actually has a kind of entrance of the hand on the wheat. Yeah. That um, was never in the film until they got the right music. Yeah. And they got the scene. And Hans, I think, suggested to Ridley what a way to sort of, I think in filmmaking sometimes you call it left footing. Yeah, right. The sequence, which is instead of starting the way you, it's going to start at the beginning right here with, you know, here are the old footage of, of people coming out of movie theaters and John Berlin game talking about movie music. He started with that Marco Beltrami thing. Oh wow, this is going to be deeper maybe than just yeah. a yeah, by and, the book. and we might be introduced to some some weird instruments, not the same orchestral sound that you Correct. you may think you're expecting to see with just you know the the standard orchestra, which is great, and there and there was a lot of great moments with that too. But oh, yeah. the Wurlitzer. This made me nervous. Remember when we were editing? I thought this went. Who's going to be interested in this? Now I love it, of course. <laughs> but uh, I remember the first time I saw this sequence of the Wurlitzer, I thought, "Oh no, people think this is old fashioned. We're actually right. about contemporary film music." But it really has merit as as it. It was progresses. a cool thing. Yeah, I mean, it, and I had some debate about how well that fit in, but it, people seem to really think that that old, you know, the old theater organ, the Wurlitzer. Is written, and of course they they painted all kinds of things at this. This is the uh, what is it? Music uh, Old Town Music Hall in El Segundo. I was going to say it does help oh, too wow. that the visuals, the fluorescent painting, it kind of makes it modernized a little and, and mm-hmm. visually instead of it just being the Wurlitzer sitting there. There was some cool things to look. And originally at. the Wurlitzers were off to the side. You know, you'd have the guy playing music off to the side, but um, that that's a really cool place if you get a chance to go down if you're in. The L.A. area, Isn't El Segundo, yeah, El Segundo, Old Town Music Hall, and uh, you might see Leonard Malton there. He goes there pretty frequently. Oh, really? This is a great sequence with King Kong. On Robert, s- get right up in the microphone. So many if you can. on so many levels. I really love. <laughs> I love the David David Newman. Newman yeah, talking about kitschy it. and stupid. I think every time we were <laughs> watching a screening on that, people started cracking up because it's it's true. I mean, this does. If you watch that on mute, it's kind of corny looking, but. Once that music's in there, it, it definitely has a major impact. It's crazy that this is like, what, 85 years ago? <laughs> wow. You know? And also, you wouldn't think that this epic of film was also epic for the music. You'd think, oh, it's just King Kong, yeah. a great movie, but actually there's another part of it. Oh, Alfred Newman. I sat, in, I sat in his chair for cigarette. almost two decades. That's right, a fox? Yep, I was in that office. The li- I was... Did you, ever so, meet, you never met him, did you? No, no, he passed away, and uh, I didn't meet him or his younger brother, Lionel, who was his, the right. next head of music. Yep. And there it is. Those are the great photographs of, that's the stage I worked on for 20 years. This story, when I first heard this Fox logo story. Isn't it great? That's so crazy. Yeah. I wonder, just every time that music comes up, they were like, oh, and then <laughs> we Dave, blew it. <laughs> we took David into the studio to re-record it in 96 and really give it a 
a little bit of a contemporary. Man, he he does so. Is that the many... version they're still using? Yes, right now it's the David Newman version. In some ways, just to make we didn't have one that wasn't stereo phonic yeah. five point one, all that stuff. We had the original logo music. Yeah, he he's so busy. Every time I see there there's a show or something at the Hollywood Bowl, it's David Newman conducting. That he does so many live concerts. Yeah. He's really, that's become I've huge. been trying to figure out, Leonard Malton has a pin on all uh-huh. through this. And I remember when we interviewed him, and I, I can't remember what the pin was. There's there's a little bit of a reflection on that, so it always draws my Maybe eye. Maybe the next scene will. Oh, man, <laughs> this this day was so cool. I think it was, were you there, Matt? I think it might have just yeah. been, were, were, you, were you in the room? Uh, well, I, I feel like I was in the room for everything now, because I've seen I, this so many times. I think because of the amount of people, it might have just been. I don't been, think I was. Yeah. Nate, Nate and I were in the corner. This is one that. of my favorites, and this was a really great favor that Jim Cameron did to, you know, I'd, I'd done Titanic and Avatar with him. Right, yeah. And uh, kind of trepidatiously said, we're making this documentary, and we wanted James Horner to be in it. And, of course, James Horner had, while we were in the middle yeah. of filming, yep. had had that terrible accident. and. Cameron said, let's find a date. Just come on out. I'd love to talk about him. So he was very generous with his time. A and that of, warehouse we were in was pretty crazy, too. Oh, that was amazing. All of the props from yeah. all of these great you know, movies of, of James Cameron's past. Oh, man. Uh, Gary Marshall told some funny stories in that. <laughs> there, there's a lot of stuff that we couldn't use. He, is, he was so funny, man. Yeah. There's Julianne and Jordan Judd. sitting in a chair. Bear McCreary, yep. John Debney, I mean, what what a gentleman and a, and a real ally to this project. He really was one of the first interviews that we did that helped us uh, kick this project off. Yeah, and get first some composer. Momentum. He's a wonderful guy. So is Mervyn. Mervyn just produced the new Manhattan Transfer record that's a hit. And here's Michael oh, yeah. Dana, who was on our podcast yeah. recently. So it all ties back together. Yeah, it was really cool of John to be not only our first composer for Score, but also our first guest on Score the Podcast. Yeah, perfect. Bear was so articulate of everything. I was so surprised when we went through the footage of Bear, and he was, uh, every single thing we asked him about, he was right on point exactly, you know, as as concisely as possible, nailing each... uh, each answer, we thought, this guy's great. we got to put a lot of them in the movie. And we did. Well, he was even just as good when you guys went on CBS this morning. That was such oh, a great yeah. segment. I remember I've, I've loved, I have I've first saw Bear's work in uh, Battlestar Galactica. I was a, a fan of the that original run uh, in the mid-2000s. And I remember 2005, 2006, they were releasing his soundtracks, and the music was so experimental and, and different, familiar, but alien. And uh, he it was just uh, just a really brilliant, talented guy and amazing to see how his career has, has skyrocketed yeah, and since then. Yeah, keeps going. I mean, he's a super talented guy. Here's our first big laugh that we get in the oh, movie. Oh, yeah. One of the guys on top of the game saying, I have no idea what I'm doing. Call someone else. Should, you, should we be calling John Williams? <laughs> it's so perfect. And he's articulating what every composer feels, which is panic and insecurity. Self-doubt. Yeah. yeah. He has the Mercury astronauts picture on his uh, I know. on his table. Did he ever explain what that was about? Mm-mm. He no. has a lot of little trinkets that are kind of ran. He had like a... Was there like a little model truck on the ground too? Like yeah, a fire a truck or something? I'm not sure what 
I think it was right after. It was probably six months after he had done Interstellar. So I was thinking, maybe is this some space thing that he got from some thing he did or something? But I'm not sure. This was a this was a cool moment. I love the sequence with yeah. Rachel. She was like, um, "Well, I haven't really started, so I can just start kind of looking around on the film." And we were like, "That that's great." And so we just kind of started rolling, and we hung out with Rachel for a few hours and uh, watched her work, and it she's was just wonderful. And it's very the cue that she's writing is so wonderful. It, and this is like the fr- I mean, that is literally the blank page. She she sat down and was like, "Well, I just got it." It was. I think it was like the first time she was watching that scene. So and the final version was quite a bit different. Yeah. So she made she made a lot of passes at that. But it was. It's kind of cool to be really watching it there for the first time. Her kind of thinking of how yeah. am I going to do this? This was another one of our early interviews, Christoph Beck. Mm-hmm. Close encounters. Oh, you know what I like about this? If you listen carefully, for some reason, John Debney. Sings it almost perfectly in tune. Either he's remembered the pitch, or somebody just played it to him. But everybody has is actually. <laughs> There's a you're, secret behind. You're that. noticing something there. I think Matt auto-tuned him in oh, on, oh. Key on one of them. Well, I, I didn't, but Peter did. Peter, Peter, Peter yeah. Baviets are are uh, are oh, who what function basically move. as both our music editor and, and sound editor. May I simply that say that when I first saw this edit of score. I was so impressed by the addition of the graphic of the actual notes. Oh yeah, on we ha- we had a long that back and forth I about love what, that. what to do with that. I love that, and that was uh, Eastwood Allen, yeah, out of uh, London. Out uh, of London, we got in touch with him through the the Kickstarter that we ran. Shout out and, to uh, Eastwood for for the graphic making. He did a, a great he, little fan documentary made, on John Mayer that he did some cool graphics and things on, um, which I think is is uh, is online. You can find it. Um, but it's, uh, he said, yeah, I can I can animate some of this stuff and try well, to make and it look cool. We had a conversation. So Nate, our, our producer cinematographer, is a musician. And he didn't, I, I remember him thinking he didn't, he didn't know if people were going to understand or if they were. And as someone that's not a musician, I was like, I absolutely need something on the screen right. to oh, it's great. signify. And once that showed up, it, it made so much more sense because some of the scenes, there's action going on and sound effects and it may, it may be hard to narrow down what you're listening for. But Yeah, right. This is a really wonderful sequence for so many reasons. I love it. First of all, Marco's all chill. And he says, Buck is nervous. <laughs> it puts him on the spot. Yeah. And we didn't even mic Buck up to uh, to give his side of the story there. A kalimba. You can Thumb see our little, uh, our little recorder at the bottom of the screen there. It's the same one we're using right now, isn't it? Uh, no. Oh, no, this is the six track. Now one. we're, yeah, now we got the good stuff. We upgraded. He said, yeah, Buck's nervous. But this cue, I absolutely love. Sean Penn's walking across a bridge in London. Yep, and the it kicks in right yeah. on on the edits, yep. which is a, a cool impact. Oh yeah, and Peter did a cool job of like taking the room noise and then switching it to the soundtrack, the actual score when you go full frame to oh, really. Wow. Just yeah, I gotta say, Peter, it, like it, it, he he now he was nominated for um, for a motion picture sound editor award with some other big films because of his mix for this movie, which was super cool, super but deserved. Wow, like what a, a job that he Peter and uh, Carrie Barber both did 
putting the sound together because it's all over the place, man. And in these, uh, we have sound from everything, and you can see that you know the little portable recorders and stuff plugged in, and microphones on someone's chest, and uh, and you got to make all that stuff match. It all has a different character to that sound. Well, and, there's so uh, many he interviews. He blended it so well. Some of the interviews too have like little pops and hisses in them and scratches from clothing, and the way he was able to take some of that. I remember thinking like, "There's no way we can use this." And then he's like, oh, yeah, you just have to identify it. And he's like scratching stuff out. I'm like, <laughs> He's pulling up graphs. and <laughs> He's amazing. Deleting, or like painting things out of the sound. It's, I didn't know you Perfect. could do that. Oh, our, this interview with Robert Townsend, I, th- I believe it was in Beverly Hills. And it was like we had to park so far away and bring all the stuff. <laughs> through this, through, across town and up, up an elevator. That was, I think that was the most difficult setup of, of any interview. Other than going to London, of course. Robert, how often are people talking about doing like a jazzy John Barry or, you know? Mark Eichemann, I just had this conversation. He's yeah. in the middle of a new project that is going to be complete. It's the story of Buddy Bolden, who is a original yeah. trumpet player, jazz trumpet. He's doing an entire jazz score. And oh, cool. I am going to see the Pink Panther live at the Hollywood Bowl. I was just right, invited. Yeah. I can't remember which day this summer. That scene of that old band Probably playing. my favorite scene. <laughs> so funny. This is my favorite music and my favorite scene and also my favorite actor. And sometimes it's a little embarrassing when I'm out and about and people say, <laughs> Are you James Bond? I just I get used to that. You get that a lot. Yeah. I get it a lot, and I have oh, to say, be frustrating. Actually, <laughs> crowd. The funny Kraft. thing about that scene with <laughs> with uh, Sean Connery driving, which I think is from Doctor No, um, that he's on a dirt road, and the sound editor put in all these squeals on pavement, so the car is going <laughs> <laughs> it's around perfect. the corners on the dirt road. What what I is think the, it's. Go ahead, John. David Arnold. It's such an interesting role uh, that I mean, he was he was scored the Brosnan era and then carried over into the Daniel Craig era. And those films took such a huge tone shift. But it's interesting that the studio kept the same musical talent on board. Yeah, yeah. And then think, Tom and and there's a big debate now: who's going to be the next James yes. Bond composer for number? I think it's the 25th film, isn't it? Is that the next one? 25. Yeah. No, oh, I had so much fun editing this scene. Or this this section, and Carrie Carrie boosted that little gunshot at the oh, end. Yeah. There's there's a little extra sound effect in in there to really add the junky XL. It's cool how all this old stuff. I mean, this is one of the things that that I was really interested in from the start. But there is that evolution in the way that artists think because whatever whatever they grew up listening to there's some impression that that makes whether they they want it you know further that idea that musical idea or rebel against it richard Kraft, no relation just wanted to clear that up <laughs> how many times have you gotten that question i get it i get the question I get the, I, and i get the phone call too which is hi richard listen and someone will go on and on and on <laughs> and then i say is there any money involved in this? They say no. I said, "Okay, I'm Robert Kraft." They say, "Yes, twenty five thousand dollars." They say, "Keep talking, please." Uh, I go by Robert Richard. Just send the check. Oh yes. How how often do we quote this line in our personal lives? Mystery. Yes. 
Come Stay closer. <laughs> Something's not right here. But please come. <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. And it, it adds so much effect, too, that he's dressed in all black. He's got sunglasses on. It just really worked. We yeah, had these... one, one of the difficult things in that interview was the uh, we used a, a, a light that re- it spread out the, a big diffuser that spread out the light. It makes for good a good-looking picture, but it reflected off of his dark glasses oh, so no. much. So in a lot of the shots of him, you see, like, this white beam... You know, blinding you off of his dark glasses. It's kind of appropriate. So, you know, Matt, one of the things that I think is most interesting, and I think in, in many ways successful about the film, was something that was already in place. Uh, you know, before I saw the, the the first cut that that I viewed, and it's the narrative structure. And it's uh, I think there's such a monumental task in making this movie of trying to introduce a history of the art form and then an, an overview of its most prominent and influential characters, and then also dive into the creative process and structure that in a way where it narratively makes sense uh, to the audience. How, how many, you know, how hard was that for you and, and Kenny to, to play around uh, with that structure? And, and how did you, how did you settle it? Did you have other well, ideas? Way, yeah, there's, there's a few different kind of timelines that we worked with in editing originally, Kenny and I both, and we we would kind of divvy it up and then retrace the other person's work and then, you know, slowly shape uh, this this you know big ball of clay into something that started to resemble what we were hoping it would eventually resemble. But yeah, there are a couple different timelines, and one of them was the history kind of thing. I think we put you know five sequences together of just they were just history sections, and mm-hmm. y- you could run them all you know by themselves or or In into a row, each other. Yeah. Um, but then we also kind of wanted to parallel that with a little bit of. You know the, the the process of creating a film score. So we start with uh, with the idea of spotting a film before the music exists, and then a couple of concepts like you know Tom Holkenborg here, um, one of my favorite XL. sequences. And these forest shots are just so great. What a yeah. great metaphor! Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. He's talking. I about, wanted to oh, something that just passed that uh, the shot of um, the psycho. That yeah. that old looking shot of the person playing the violin. That's actually Dave Ewart who's in the film, he's a violinist, and we just, we treated the video to make yeah. it look old. Oh, we asked funny. him to play a couple things, and then, yeah, it, it just, it worked perfectly, so we made it, we made it look like an old clip. Oh, this is perfect. This story's great. Now, yeah. this is upstairs at, uh, uh, at the... Mutato Musica. Yeah, right, right. Because we were downstairs when we did our podcast with this Mark. This bright green building... Uh, along Sunset, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looks like the Forum. <laughs> yes. It's a really cool building. Mini Forum. Those glasses, um, we, we shot an interview with Mark, too, that um, didn't, none of that part ended up making the film, but the light reflecting off his glasses oh, yeah. was brutal. Because right. th- those are basically mirrors, as you can see. They're really cool glasses. He he has a whole company. He sells those. Um, yeah, it's kind of his I signature. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is a beautiful piece of music that Haythor composes on the spot. Yeah, Nate shot this part, and um, th- it was a really small little room that Haythor was in. So I just I shot it with my cell phone because I thought it was so cool just watching him jam. I still have that in my phone. Sometimes mm. I go back and just watch it. We with Jay Ralph, we we got in a golf cart with him and drove around town. There's a little bonus clip on our YouTube. Nice. He uh he has a golf cart instead of a car in New York, 
very good drummer. What a collection of old... He makes a point to find like really old instruments that were used by sometimes famous people mm. and bids on them. Oh, I is think that right? That, I think that piano belonged to somebody from like the 50s or 60s, and he bought it in an auction or something, if I remember correctly. That's cool. So cool. Oh, here's a fan favorite. It's interesting to see all the, the, the collections of these exotic physical instruments that these composers are... are um, so attached to and, it, right, and it, yeah. it's interesting in this digital age where anything can be synthesized or sampled that there's still such a firm commitment to the actual physical production the of the analog sound. Yeah. God. didn't he tell a story about how the the black sales theme that that uh, hurdy gurdy was actually broken yeah what's that what was he recorded story? it when it was broken this is the biggest laugh in the movie i think <laughs> right <laughs> some little lowbrow humor in there yeah. <laughs> for the kids and this seals if you uh, that horn he plays right there, if you watch Last Man on Earth or any of the Philip Lord, uh, oh yeah, their the, production company their logo, produ- yeah, their logo oh. is that horn. Wow. Oh, Patrick Doyle, so wonderful. You can almost we don't. I don't think we needed subtitles for him on this. He has <laughs> such a thick. We debated it. Yeah. Scottish <laughs> accent. Yeah, technically it's English still, but. Yep. Uh, he was so nice, too. He took us around. Uh, I think his son, actually, who is also a, an aspiring composer or a composer. I can't remember. Um, but that was at Shepperton Studios, which is... The, oh, sure. That's uh-huh. where his That's the big, the big studio in London, a big big lot. And they showed us around. I think we saw the set for the new, the live-action Cinderella being built. I went there. to visit oh. Patrick at Shepperton once, and Pirates of the Caribbean was, was being shot while I was there and I was walking down one of those narrow streets and I was certain I was walking towards Johnny Depp and I got really close <laughs> in, in full on Pirates and I realized it's his stunt double. <laughs> completely like It's him. funny you say that because there were pirate guys walking around. I wonder if that's just a thing. Yeah, just actually, Those are the pirates There might be real pirates studios. that live in Shepparton. <laughs> <laughs> they took over oh, part of it. this is God, I love this sequence. So cool. The drums and uh, it's just a great filmic sequence. And this music, this is a great film, but this the music made this film. Huge. He should have. This should have Very got an well Oscar nomination. I was surprised it, it didn't. Well, the movie cleaned up at the Oscars, and I know. Then, and then this one went past. I'm like, what? I was thinking of going to Guitar Center to see if they had <laughs> one of these. They might make them now. You got to get the fuel at a different yeah. location. <laughs> Try go to a mobile station. Get uh, Robert. Get up uh, into the microphone there if you can. Okay, there's there Mad Max. These are super <laughs> directional, so we, we oh, gotta really? stay right in front okay. of them. We're kind of. For for those who that are listening to this and and uh, we're shooting a video clip too, so we'll, we'll put something on our our uh, YouTube channel. But for those listening, uh, we're constantly looking at a screen as we're doing this, so we're trying to consciously stay in front of the microphone too. Tom did a good job of um, making a scene where we're showing a guy sitting at a computer, really interesting, explaining this, and it helped with the edits too, cutting around. But um, the the drums, the use of the drums and explaining the layers of it, um, it's it's really interesting for especially for someone who doesn't know how that works. Yeah, right. And the, and the fact that too, you know, people say sometimes that you know the stuff going digital takes away, but he actually recorded all the drums first with 
musicians yeah. and then treated them. So it was still live musicians playing it. He was just able to manipulate them after they were recorded, which is yeah, cool. Right. I thought Steve Jablonski's sequence later in the film too was a similar kind of guy sitting in a computer that was really fascinating. Spoiler alert. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me how it ends, John. <laughs> we're not there yet. <laughs> Trevor uh, Rabin, uh, who's known... Big I think, look at the camera when he says... <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, she's so great. She's so interesting. I'm really loving her uh, segment. How'd you find Sue Lantan? We did a lot of research uh, to try to identify who are the leading people. You know, because this is like, we thought film music has got to be used for some scientific something. It's such a huge art form. There, there must be some analysis being done on how some of this stuff works you know, with with uh, people watching films, and she's one of the leading people that have been studying this. It's the music of multimedia, and uh, the way that that plays off of what we what we see. Famous goosebumps. Who, whose arm is that? Is that Crystal's? <laughs> our producer. One of yeah. our producers. Assistant producer. <laughs> and how, how did how did you give Crystal the goosebumps? Uh, I, I, I don't think the, we're allowed. She's to say. my wife now, so uh, <laughs> there's no. Uh, oh boy. You're oh, never gonna is, know. That, that we almost. How'd you get that past the ratings board? That one scene. <laughs> That kiss. Yeah, we, that we changed went through everything. Several, PG we went through several 13. varieties of that. That's Nate Gold's doing right there, that little shot. We had a few variations. This was the most G-rated. I of. really liked the animation, by the way. Same. It was instrumental in explaining that. Mobius. Kyle Goodrich is the one that did a lot of those animations. Do you notice the little 3D. picture of Moby over his shoulder? I always notice it. There's oh, a drawing funny. of him right over his right shoulder. Oh, yeah. Which is I, also his autograph, his signature is a little self-portrait. <laughs> yeah. I, think so. oh, I yeah. like that he's wearing a, a hoodie that says Mr. Baldy. No, it's Mount Baldy. Oh, was he saying Mount Baldy? <laughs> I said, <laughs> said Mr. Baldy. I thought it was too. No, okay, he, 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 might, Mount Baldy. he might be Mr. Baldy, but he <laughs> probably climbs Mount Baldy. Yes. I thought those I thought the same thing when I first saw that. I said, is he wearing a is that his brand or something? <laughs> Mr. Baldy. <laughs> Great James Horner score. Yeah. I wish it, James Horner did so many great scores, and I, it would have been nice if we, you know, for for time purposes, we couldn't go that in depth on a number of things. But he's one of those guys that has so many great scores through the years. It would have been nice to have a a little bit more in there if, uh, you know, if people could sit through a four hour cut of the movie. Yeah. Which we've heard some people score would. too. <laughs> right. <laughs> number of composers of course we've all heard from a lot of the fans why didn't you include and then you can fill right. in the blank of, yep you should have had something to which you always have to say you're absolutely right it yep. just was a question of should we make a movie that's a day and a half long or something that gives you the flavor yep. well and i think we squeezed we interviewed 60 something people and included them all so <laughs> at a certain point people are like how come you didn't interview and it's like well if you if you interviewed every composer in existence, uh, we'd we'd definitely run out of time in the day. Yeah, uh, but it would have been great to include. There's so many people that were omitted for time purposes or scheduling. I'm a, a big documentary consumer, and I, I I was really nervous about all the people that we interviewed for this and squeezing them in because usually you don't have that in a documentary. That many people, you might have. 20 maybe but like we crammed a lot of these oh, this is the part and it kind of worked this is so great is this where he looks at the camera 
Yeah. You know what's interesting? Wish he would have asked first. I don't yeah. think I'm. I'm. I'm not sure he purposely looked into a camera. We had so many cameras on him that he happened to just look that direction. And when yeah. we were editing it, we we found it very humorous that he happened to look right into a lens right at that. Our setup for that I that it was, was kind our, of saying, "Is this okay for me to say?" I'm. Not it felt happy. that way, and I think that's kind of I think that's kind of what he meant. But yeah, we just happened to have a camera there that I think maybe caught his his eye, which created a a laugh in the theater right. quite often. <laughs> and that's what? I heard it the other day too um, on some some sporting event. I can't remember what it was, but that that Trevor score for uh, Remember the Titans. So this is part of. Uh, there are so many good moments that I think we spent like three hours or something with Sulan in in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and uh, we flew up there. And that's she she's at Kalamazoo College, and um, she gave us all of these fantastic anecdotes about different movies, about some different studies that have been done. And we've talked about some of those throughout uh, our tour of the movie at screenings and Q and As and things like that. But um, but she was talking about how the music. Will will tie itself to something visual, and you start to, as a viewer, you start to make that connection with things. So that when you hear music doing something later in the movie, you're gonna fall. You know, the music rises, and you're looking for something on the screen that also rises at the yeah. same time, and you make that mental, you know, kind of, that psychology framework is there. Well, she mentioned too that you know when you go to the theater, there aren't speakers on every mouth moving the speakers are in the same spot and your eyes and brain do the work of figuring out where the sound is coming from so your brain is used to looking for where the sound is coming from all the way back to from when you were like a baby Mm -hmm. she explained that she was definitely uh my favorite at any q a we did that she was there i i wanted to ask questions (laughs) just like the audience significant day for me with quincy because not only was he my and is my hero um, in so many ways. But we had a conversation that day that led to a whole new exploration for me of a different topic and a different movie idea. And here's my it favorite started there? movie. It started there. Was that... Well, we had, I'd floated around. I mean, I'd had the idea for years and years and years, but this was the first time I'd actually had a chance to say to Quincy, he said to me, what What else are you working on? I said, well, yeah. I'm actually trying to develop this, this project that you're... A character in and he said i love it let's do it together are you about to break some news on what you're working on or? <laughs> no I, I i i have to wait one, we one breaking moment, news. we breaking can't news. tease listeners like this with Spoiler this kind alert of <laughs> it has to do with uh charlton heston jerry goldsmith and um <laughs> does it and yeah. star trek the one reference we got oh boy, to right. star trek music at this entire project we did a whole sequence on jerry goldsmith john hates us for that yeah this is my one sore point. Everyone has their one thing when they come up to us and say, why didn't you guys include this? And this that, is and that's my one. <laughs> Where was the Star Trek theme? There's also a shot of a mixing bowl, which I feel is a critical, when, when dramatic you, moment <laughs> in where, the film. I don't know where you discovered right that, but in the edit, I remember thinking, man, it would be so cool to have the visual it's of locked. somebody hitting a b- And then Matt's like, oh, here's the uh, mixing bowl clip. I'm like, oh, It was cool. Great. Yeah, it was in some old archival footage. Um, of, I think it might have been a featurette that was Does done. Does he say balls in this later. clip, too? <laughs> he brought that up to us. <laughs> yes. That was, we went to that. Uh, oh, Robert, I think favorites. you moderated that. And that was the first thing he said is, do I really say that yes. <laughs> twice in the movie? Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Tyler. He, that... Well, didn't we bring up, too, that in the Deadpool 2 soundtrack, <laughs> one of the titles has balls in it, and we're like, right. 
Use it in a <laughs> what? What was that? Do you remember a, that? A Shrek chorus. Name? A chorus. It's holy. Oh, oh, blank. I remember it. Balls. Okay, yeah. Yes. For uh, <laughs> yeah. I think it might be the track that got him his the the first explicit soundtrack. Yeah, it was yes. or or score. Excuse me. Such great filmmaking. I mean, we're so. I mean, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen this so many times that even. It's like its own musical thing. Matt, Not even the delivery. We Matt, hear the did, tone. When we were editing this, did you have fun just watching through all these movies that you maybe had never seen or seen once in your I'd childhood? I'd never seen The Reavers before uh, until until I came across that clip of Steven, this one of Steven Spielberg talking about hearing this guy's score and thinking he's 80 years old. Um and realizing it was uh, it was John Williams who you know I, I don't know what his age is here I think he's forty eight or something in this clip um, or I don't know he's 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 younger than eighty years old but um, but it was really interesting just a little bit of that backstory into how Steven Spielberg you know one of the most iconic duos it, probably the iconic duo Steven Spielberg and John Williams and how they met mm-hmm. and that little moment there that was always a big laugh. Which one? When or I think it's coming up actually. When when they talk about Jaws. Oh, yeah. this is all great. Actually, also at the Hollywood Bowl this summer, I'm going to see Jaws perform live um, to picture, which will be a lot. It's of really fun. cool. Yeah, if if you can, a lot of local orchestras. We've talked about this on the on Score the podcast, but a lot of local orchestras are doing those now. So if there's one in your area, go out support them, and uh, you'll really enjoy the experience. It's of amazing them. too. It, someone should do a live outdoor Jaws uh, uh, rendition in a pool, oh. uh, like, a dive, like a dive-in movie. Right, great. What's fun about this sequence is that everybody misquotes. Oh, the look at that! See that in the background? Music. That right. light. That was uh, a really small room, and the backlight is actually in the background with the gel on the light. It's so embarrassing. I hate watching yeah. that part. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's real embarrassing. <laughs> you actually can't notice, though, because Richard has a collection of a lot of colorful stuff, so it actually yeah. just looks like a lamp from Disney. Yeah, something. I was just assumed he by... had hue bulbs and was you know, intentionally <laughs> accenting his uh, That his would office. make it so much easier. Oh, this is the part. This is a serious movie. Here's a very the other thing about pastoral. that Richard Kraft interview, he's got a mermaid staring right at us in the mm-hmm. background. So I, I never that's the first thing I look a, at. Is that a little mermaid mermaid or is it something else? I'm not sure. He's he's notably a, a major Disney collector, if Correct. you don't know that. Yep. So there's his a studio, collector of lots of stuff. His not office just Disney, and But yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that's something straight from Disneyland. Yeah. He has a ton of stuff, which is why he's doing all these concerts now and probably in like a kid in a candy store. So many cool tidbits of uh, the that Hans Zimmer shared here, but then just Matt and Kenny hearing your your behind the scenes stories of some of the things that oh, you this saw. Oh, this is this is actually hey, this the, the the most dramatic moment in the movie. <laughs> it's really emotional the anchor of the film. Yeah. Now we're selling tickets. I mean, you know, you, <laughs> we're not worthy. Casting, casting, casting. That's what they say. Uh, I was worried that we held on that too long, but I think it worked. It's crazy that the music has made that yellow text, like the most ordinary thing you could put in a movie, has made that yellow text so iconic. Iconic for anything. Mm-hmm. You can put any word in that. Look at that. And, you know, to this day, when a Star Wars movie comes out, Hollywood Boulevard looks exactly the same. The Chinese theater, people outside with their <laughs> shirts. <laughs> it's Didn't they, have, they had the Millennium Falcon there just for yeah, the last have solo movie. Huge. 
ships out there and Chewbacca running around. Of course, on, they, so they always I they usually realized have that out there. For almost everyone at this table except me, I actually saw Star Wars the week it opened in New York City. Uh-huh. All of you saw it probably for the first time on a small screen, correct? Did you see it as like a video or a yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. DVD? Four by three. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I went to the Zigfield with a guy I was working with told me about the movie you got we got to see this movie and we went to 6th Avenue and 54th Street and I didn't know exactly what it was and you know of course it was amazing but it's amazing it's amazing do you remember your initial impact when Star Wars came out what you know what were you thinking leaving the theater well I remember we were First of all, I was with a super cool guy that worked at the radio station I was working at. You know, yeah. I was trying to be a songwriter, but I had a job at a radio station in New York City. And we were kind of high-fiving each other like, man, that was... I don't think either one of us knew what to expect. Yeah. He was a guy that was super plugged into pop culture, and I wasn't at that time. And he said, there's this movie we got to see tonight after work. And we were working on 124th Street in Riverside, and... We came downtown to see this movie at the Zigfield, and I didn't know what to expect. Just a game changer? Total. From what, what you were used to seeing? I on- think one of the most surprising things was how hard it was to get a seat in the theater. I didn't oh. realize it was such an event. Did it take a little while for the hype to build, or on the opening day, do you it think was it was like It was pretty big that? immediately. It was a big, like... I think Hollywood had... There was expectations. Jaws broke there. open the idea of the blockbuster at that scale. Plus... As we know in now film history, Star Wars wasn't just opening on a few theater screens in major cities. It was opening on 2,800 screens or whatever it was yeah. that the movie theater, the studios, I'm sorry, had realized that you go super wide on a movie. Yeah. It's a, you, you're generating a blockbuster. You're creating something. So it was national news. They didn't. They didn't realize until after the cut was done, and they saw what they had. Right? And there was. I wasn't there internal skepticism around the project. Maybe, probably like all of them. I mean, there was internal skepticism, certainly about the sale of the project. Nobody wanted it, and Alan Ladd at 20th Century Fox said, "I'll, you know, we'll do it." I guess the guy really wants George Lucas. Really wants something to be held back. He wants sequel and merchandising rights. He wants to retain them. Who's ever going to make a sequel to this, first of all, and merchandising <laughs> rights for a science fiction movie? Could you imagine if he sold it right away uh, and didn't do that? He oh, wouldn't, my God. He wouldn't make the deal without holding those back, and Alan Ladd said, fine, it's like a science fiction kind of Western. Yeah, who cares it's about It's a one-off. Stuff. I'm being told the guy's a talented filmmaker. We'll do other stuff with him. So let's do it. P.S. A billion dollars in T-shirts. <laughs> right. And then I think he, uh, the reason there was that like 10 year gap between, there was kind of this dark period in the early 90s before the movies got re released, and then there were the special editions. And uh, I think a lot of that was Lucas's strategy to get his Kenner license to lapse because Kenner was getting such a sweetheart deal on uh, their licensing. And uh, by kind of letting Star Wars fizzle out in the market, they f- failed to meet their minimum guarantees, huh. lost interest, let it lapse. Then they were able to uh, do the special editions, relicense everything to Kenner at five times the cost, and then Hasbro bought them. and isn't it crazy how John Williams, how many unbelievable themes are attached Genius. to him? Genius composer and deserving of every accolade. It's so incredible, just one after another. And there's so many that aren't in this <laughs> that you 
that could have been. Yeah, there really are. This is a and great moment when when Brian. Oh, when he explains does it without music. Yeah, when ba, he says ba, da, ba, you can recognize it ba, by the ba, notes or the rhythm. Yep. So, I mean, what a short list of artists I think that have produced something that's such a globally shared cultural experience. I mean, you can go to um, China or Europe or Latin America, any country in the world, and people know John Williams' music and can hum along to this. And I think uh, it's, it's a very well, and rare. Look, look what it does too. Like if you go to Disneyland and walk around and you hear that music playing, like the the experience of being at Disneyland would be so much different without music playing yeah. from from the movies like it creates an atmosphere that you're always in it even if you're walking by a shop and you're not actually on a ride or something they it, it just really brings you into the world of wherever you know whatever ride you're going on or but it's i think it's also wonderful we're looking at this scene here of the two greatest artists in their respective fields yeah and did they you know, as can sometimes happen, they brought out probably greatness in each other. Well, I mean, certainly it takes a director with some musical expectation to leave the space for a composer to be able to create. Absolutely right. So there's, you know, and it's hard to work the other way around. I know Steven Spielberg's been known to give John a little extra, you know, space here and there when John asks for it, but... um, he usually has a really good sense in the first place of how the music will work that works just so perfectly with what John Williams can do. You really Wasn't get a it? sense that they also have such, I'm just guessing, but such respect for each other. Mm-hmm. That that traditional friction that might be between a director and a composer over many years, and sometimes it's hard to continue those relationships. Yeah, It feels like they've just really found a way to work together beautifully. I don't think this ended up in the the film, but uh, wasn't that shot that iconic like Amblin Entertainment shot of uh, you know, flying over the moon from ET? Yep. Wasn't that added specifically because Williams needed an extra space? For there the music? are uh, there are a, a handful of versions of the story, but yeah, I mean, essentially, it, he either create opened up some more space for John to be able to really you know embrace that theme at that point in the movie, or he uh, he put the whole shot in one of those. <laughs> Put something in, whether it's a few seconds or several shots. This is that dog shot. It's so good. I mean, how many takes? The dog looks so excited. He takes a little step. Yeah, it's just great. What a moment. That dog, we had to work with that dog for years. (laughs) (laughs) That was in your dog training. Uh, Dog training. Hollywood dog trainers. Robert Kraft. (laughs) Not Richard, Robert. Actually, Richard's the dog trainer if you want to. (laughs) <laughs> it just makes no sense. <laughs> this was a cool... Th- so this scene came together fairly late in our production process after we interviewed her. It was one of the things that she was really articulate about um, this this ending of E.T., which is, is just the best... In my opinion, it's the best musical ending of a movie uh, that, that has ever been done. Mm-hmm. And it's so great because it's, you know, this is... Uh, what's it, 20, 25 years old? 30 years 1982 right yeah. so the, older than that and uh but it 35 this just works Drew so well. barrymore as a little girl so cute and it, it the ending of this just the music just pulls you know the energy right right out of you as you're watching it which is just such a i don't know i don't know what it is but you actually feel the physical sensation of the music 
drawing that energy, which is so cool. It actually made editing a little difficult on some of the, the this section because, you know, some of the cues you're able to weave in and out of, but John Williams, each cue has such an impact and an ending that we had to just go to black on some of those and just let the music end because yeah. you, you just can't weave out of that. And so sometimes I felt like, oh, does it feel like the John Williams section is over because we went to black and there was a big triumphant ending, but it's like... Nope, here comes Jurassic Park. A really cool thing is Steve Rodoti here is a studio musician and he, he He's like uh, the captain. He is. Yeah, yeah. And 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 Dave, you were too, but they've Well Bruce Dukoff is usually the, yep. the true captain of the orchestra. Yep, who uh violinist. Violin, first violin. But um Erdoti's definitely the cello master. It's cool these these people that are working on all these scores too, because just you would imagine being in the room playing these famous, now famous, musical pieces that are going to live for forever, and like they're the privileged few that get to be the first to hear it and and the first to play, and play it together. It, yeah, it's one of my favorite studios in the world, Air Studios. Just, oh, it was so cool in there. Just a wonderful place and. I've spent many quality hours in that There room. are rumors that it's haunted, Rob. I love that. See the chairs moving just by itself. <laughs> that proves it. Um, this part coming up is another thing we quoted quite a bit. Usually me. Usually me. Right. <laughs> oh, oh, this scene right here, Nate was backpedaling. And ran right into the wall. Oh, goodness. and we yes. had to we so had to see how the doors open there. <laughs> I don't think that the doors didn't open, or he he was crooked. Uh, it, it only opens to a certain point, and Nate, Nate a in a full in speed yeah. backpedal slam. It was a good the take wall. too. It yeah, was a good, it was uh, funny. That room is really beautiful, and it's just Hans recorded a lot of music in that balcony for Interstellar. Oh, mm, yeah, he did a whole series of. Why was so the orchestra was in the balcony or he was in the I'm balcony? I'm sorry, for, not, for uh, Inception? Oh, could, yeah. Not Interstellar, Inception. Yes, he recorded uh, the musicians were up there. I just know that he. there's a story of him using trombones recorded up there and reversing it and doing for some stuff specific acoustic effect uh, being yeah. in that location interesting this was quite a find here matt uh, i remember when we were shooting at air and thinking man i wish they were doing a session so we could get some video yeah and matt this is our up, cell phone video yeah here. somebody shot this on a cell phone during the casino royale recording oh it's and, great um, stuff it just happened to be like such a great scene for music yeah. split screen in all its uh you know 240 240i resolution uh, glory. <laughs> well, and and Matt came up with the idea to do this split screen, which not only is a really cool effect, but it also makes the cell phone video not so look so red. It shrinks it a little bit. <laughs> you can make it a little smaller. Although I wish they didn't have that cello case or whatever that is. No, that's an artistic shot. depth. The guy knew what he was doing. <laughs> it's actually a very impressive cell phone video for something shot in 2005. Yeah. On a Blackberry. It's probably like a Palm Trio I'm Also 600. impressed by Daniel Craig's driving ability. I mean, he uh, turned yeah. that, It's hard to do, get that truck not to blow up <laughs> into he, the plane. He must have a Class C. Pay Daniel the I would think so. Class C license. <laughs> At least. <laughs> oh, Abbey Road. We tried to do uh, the, the famous shot I'll tell you what, if you haven't been there, it's so hard to get that shot because the, the locals are so aggressive driving through that crosswalk that oh, if, yeah. if you're not crossing, they're not waiting. Yeah. <laughs> but so many people try to do it. 
Oh, yes. And this is the upstairs part. Right, where, the upstairs uh, where Robert Kraft naps. Yes. That's one of my favorite And places where to, uh, Kenny to nap. and Nate plugged in a transformer and knocked the power out right before the uh, <laughs> nice. session started. Whoops. <laughs> Sorry, Abbey Road For Studios. those of you Abbey Road fans, this entire sequence takes place in Abbey One, which you're looking at on screen, which is the huge room. That's the big stage there, right? If you walk out, that's the big stage and one of the biggest stages in the world with one of the longest echoes. Uh, often debated whether Abbey Road or the Sony studio in Culver City uh, has a longer echo. Uh-huh. Um, and Fox Studios also is in there. But across, if you're looking at John Williams here, on his right side, there's a door that takes you across the little hallway into Abbey Road 2. That's the Beatles studio, That's the right? Beatles room where yeah. they, by the end of the Beatles recording sessions, the story is that they each had... They divided the room up into quarters. So George was in one quarter with some incense and some, and he was <laughs> meditating. And John and Yoko were in another quarter with a mattress. And so uh, <laughs> there's a stories that they had all camped These out are there, all true but they stories, were they were sure. divided up. Um, but it's a different room. And oh, here's our uh, Brian Cranston lookalike that we oh, always. No. <laughs> He's yeah, uh, in on the, the shot. You'll see top right in the sweater. Uh, not all right. Well, there, there. He, oh, bottom right, bottom right. right. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> there was a lot of Breaking Bad going on, and during the editing process. So. This is such a great score. This Mission Impossible Rogue Nation score by Joe Kramer. Um, we, we were really, you know, he hadn't done a Mission Impossible movie before and came into this one and um it's it's i think it's the best music of the whole series i mean which is blasphemy to some extent if you go back to the old series but um but it was all derived from that classic uh you know, mission impossible theme and you can really hear it when you're watching the whole movie i'm a huge fan of this franchise and i'd absolutely agree strongest score in the, in the franchise yet mm-hmm. when we shot this scene um we had plans to shoot for a couple hours, and out of nowhere, Chris Martin from Coldplay showed up and wanted to <laughs> sit in on the right. on the recording, and they didn't want cameras in the booth, so we went from having a couple hours to about 13 minutes to wow. shoot the whole scene. So um, we, I don't think we left out a frame, literally a frame of video. Uh, we used everything we shot here, and um, we were yeah. able to come up with something that worked um, and we were happy with, but I remember being very nervous when we were told that our time was significantly cut short. Yeah. Wasn't Simon Pegg there too? Yeah. And uh, Seth MacFarlane, we saw him in the hall. He was recording an album uh, around the corner. A, sol- a solo out? Like yeah, one of I his think jazz? It, I think uh, one of his jazz albums or yeah. something. Yeah. But um, he was there that day too. And That's uh, cool. I made a point to buy a ton of stuff in the... Uh, gift shop <laughs> little gift shop and it, the gift shops i don't think it's open to the public so the guy that was working in the gift shop was really happy that someone came in there because i don't think people that go there all the time buy stuff chris martin's not gonna go yeah. buy a Abbey but i was Road like hi mug. i'll take a book and uh, the mugs and he was like hmm you don't belong here great <laughs> makes sense uh um, yeah, it is kind of amazing. I mean, some of these shots are a little bit shaky, but for for the amount of time that we had there, 
it was perfect. Like we could have reshot maybe a couple things, but um, yeah. But luckily, we had several people with cameras that were recording at the same time, and we were able to gather everything in a very short amount of time. Um, and that was a really good cue that they played. Yeah, too. it was perfect timing for everything. Because like you know, could have been some some background noise, or so, you know, a, a yep. s- more simple, not such a, a powerful cue playing. Now we're at Fox here. Has anyone leaked Desplat's uh, original Rogue One score? I don't think so. I don't know that it was ever finished either. Like, I, I don't know if they recorded that or if it was just written, you know, it was just a mocked up electronic something version in uh, in Logic or, you know, something. I think he does a lot by pen and paper, actually. So I'm not sure what came of that. Is there I'm sure a, Disney there's has so it many somewhere. famously replaced scores throughout history. It'd yeah. be a, interesting to. Is there a nicer guy than Hator Pereira? Yeah, he's such a cool guy, and he's so musical. I, remember, I mean, he he's somebody who always wants to be playing something. When we were interviewing him, he kept going like, "Oh, let me show you," and he'd grab an instrument and play it instead of just talking about it. Yeah, he loves playing, and he's... you know what was interesting about Hator too? The way that he writes a melody in the first place is with a guitar. Yeah, like he's of a he's piano. most comfortable with the guitar being an extension of you know his ability to play. Well, wasn't he in notes, a South but South American band, a Brazilian band, or something? He's done a lot. Yeah, he's done Initially. a lot of stuff. Hector was in Simply Red for many years as the musical director and go. guitarist. Okay, there and you he's go. A great guitar player. Yeah, he is a genuine rock star who uh, came over. To I don't me. know who captured this shot right here, but it is amazing. Every time I see it, the the rack focus to the minion. I believe this was Alex Miski who was uh, running the uh, the camera on this, who also captured later on that moment where Hator's kind of instructing the orchestra on how to pluck at, oh, yeah. or, or not even pluck, kind of strum with the, the nails, uh, the strings with the the back of the nail for the film. <laughs> All right, Warner Brothers here. So it, I shot this. Robert, there's like three main stages in L.A. You're correct. Warner Brothers, Sony, which we don't have in the movie, and yep. Fox, right? Yep. And they all have their fans, and uh, and they all have incredible histories. Incredible yep. histories in all. John Williams prefers Sony when he's scoring here. Um, a number of composers only record at Fox. Yep which has been in existence since the beginning of sound on film. It was stage one on the Fox right. movie studio. and Alfred Newman. Right, and music, you know, the sound came in in 1927 with the jazz singer. It actually, that was the first movie released with sound, but Fox had already figured out how to get sound onto film. They just didn't make it to the theater in time. So the jazz singer is credited as the first sound movie, but... They dropped the microphone into a, you know, movie studio. Yeah. And recorded an orchestra in there, and then it just evolved into that's where the recording studio became. Oh, this is so uh, another moment of being in the recording session when they were playing something epic, and uh, we've gotten a lot of questions about what this <sighs> cue is because it's not; it was never released. It's it's in yeah. the film that it's, it's not being, on the soundtrack, not it, on the score. It's for uh, SpongeBob to Sponge <laughs> Out of Water, and that, in my opinion, the classic film. It's it's almost a 
it's wasted. It's such a cool cue, and it's just barely used in the background of a moment in that film. Yeah. And um, I believe that that was either the first or second piece of music that they played when we first got there. And that was the first Bruce scoring session we went to. Oh, yeah, there's Bruce. And I believe Katya Popoff on the right there. And these are, we're, we're have, that's, that's the score there by Haytor. So we're kind of jumping around. Hopefully the, uh, people watching aren't we needed a shot that there. close of attention we, we needed need, we needed some sheet music there we needed a sheet music shot conrad pope who's a, a orchestrator best known for working with john williams and alexander desplat and uh, reminds me of uh, kelsey grammar in that shot. <laughs> a little bit <laughs> there's a little bit of that maybe the chorusing effect here uh that was uh from up on a ladder that was way up on a ladder we shot down to get that uh, angle above the string section. Trivia buffs. I, gonna... I love this line. It's just the, about the little imperfections in the music. Yeah. Humanity. So eloquent that Brian Tyler. Yes. This is my favorite part. Oh yeah, here's the here's the piece of music that I think was one of the first ones that we captured. You can see actually on the screen <laughs> a couple frames. You can see the, uh, uh, you know, Patrick Star or whatever from SpongeBob. I think. Oh yeah. We kind of made it a joke. A lot of people were like, "What cue is this?" And we kind of just left it as a mystery to see if anyone could figure it out. And I think one person ended up tweeting us, and they had figured it out somehow. And it was like the world's biggest SpongeBob SquarePants fan <laughs> from like Florida. It was SpongeBob. Actually, uh, it was Bob. Yeah, it was Sponge Robert. <laughs> it's, his, it's his his family name. Uh, it really is a really good piece of music. It, it's so hard to compose this kind of music. That's what always kills me. Is we we hear this music and we think, oh, this is really cool. It's hard to make this kind of music. It's hard to get mm-hmm. these emotions into a hundred piece orchestra. Yeah. It's a really incredible art form. When, uh, I have to wonder why he didn't, why Debney didn't hold that piece back for something other than the SpongeBob movie. Yeah, I mean, he writes so much stuff, so I'm sure, I'm sure uh, he has no shortage of uh, of musical ideas for a lot of. I mean, when uh, guys made some great scores. When when John says it's like seeing your child for the first time being born by chance, randomly, I met John's son. <laughs> and I was like, you're the child. That's, right. You're the child that was born that he's referencing. And he's like, what? <laughs> what creep? It was yeah. funny to me, but he didn't know what I was talking about. You're the child. <laughs> All these years. Uh, uh, Elliot Goldenthal, we met him at a hotel. Uh, it, uh, I think, was at the W Hotel or Beverly... Beverly uh, I don't know. It was some hotel in in uh, Beverly Hills. It was bougie. He was in town because he usually lives in New York, but he came down. He was uh, accepting uh, an award for something, lifetime achievement or something. And we were fortunate enough to interview him right before that. It was the same day. I love his Batman Forever soundtrack, even though the movie was kind of. Hmm. <laughs> it's such a cool soundtrack and such a different Batman sound. I thought it was really cool. Mitchell Lee was such a great interview. Oh man, yeah, soundbite machine, <laughs> and he's just yeah. like the the animated hands. He's he's, he's like Disney. He's Disney. He's animated. 
And he's right. You know, I've been paying attention to all these Disney releases and like each one of them. I never really thought about it because, you know, you got movies coming out all the time from whatever studios. But the Disney ones, they throw so much into every single movie. Oh, the countdown clock. He he mentioned this in the interview. And we were like, do you have that? And he's like, no, I don't know where it is. And so we packed everything up. And then right before we left, he's like, I remember oh, where the it clock is. is. I'll be right back. Yeah. And so we grabbed it. So that shot was kind of like last oh, second. Oh, great. Yeah. Back in Studio One here. More uh, footage from our limited shoot. This is a great sequence. Uh, when they were scoring this part... Split screen is very cool. When they were yep. scoring this part, that, that scene was all uh, animated. The Tom Cruise in the water. It hadn't been shot yet. So on the screen, they were seeing a, a concept art, version. Yeah. Was it actual hand-drawn art? No, or was it was, it, it was an, like animatic. an animated. It looked like ah. a video game. John Burlingame, who's, who's the best at what he does as a, a film music historian. We met him down at USC, uh, and because uh, he, he teaches a couple classes there, and USC is known for their, you know, they have a lot of a lot of composers have ties to USC, um, so he fit in perfectly. Like Danny Elfman. One of my great regrets of this film, and I know we had explored it, is that Laura Engel, who is really responsible in some ways for bringing Danny Elfman to a lot of the glory that he's had, she was the road manager for Oingo Boingo. Yeah. And then uh, worked with him as a manager and then the, was really part of his transition to film music. And she's she should be on camera next week. We almost did. We, we had put a lot of the film together. And she she actually, we reached out to interview her um, and and we're waiting for the uh, the ideal time to do that. And we realized at some point, you know what? We have a lot of the stuff that's working really well. We never ended up going back to shoot more interviews after that. She'll be part of our sequel. Yeah, there you go. Steve Bartek on the left there playing guitar. He's very involved in Danny's music. Mm-hmm. This is... This gets a laugh. Comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, funny to mention that, um, I forget who told me this, but Paul Rubin, uh, Pee Wee, saw the film on an airplane. Oh, wow. And oh, saw a score on that. I, yeah. I think Richard Kraft told me that. Yeah. And he was like, how cool is this? And he was. I think he took a picture <laughs> on the plane and sent it. Because the, the awesome. film was on some JetBlue and Delta flights. Right. It, it might still be there, but it, it was there it's for It's still while. on, I think, Lufthansa. Because somebody sent me really? a week ago. Oh. Look what's on my the back of the seat in front of me. That's cool, yeah. I haven't been on a flight when it's on there, unfortunately. I'd be like, hmm, what's this movie, everyone? Interesting. <laughs> Have you heard of this? A score? It's some sort of a documentary about films. The pilot has an announcement. Passengers, all of you tune immediately to channel 22. Oh, yes. Kenny's favorite score. My favorite score. I actually just bought, because it's not really easy to find, I bought a used vinyl of this soundtrack original. And um, it wasn't cheap, but it was worth it. Amazing. (laughs) You got quite a uh, growing vinyl collection. I noticed that. 
Ah, uh, yes. <sighs> this is quite a work of art. This is a great. I, I've rewatched this several times, and it's ju- the it's just recently started to age a little bit. The movie, and that it's it feels really? a little bit because it it's it's such a great movie that has lasted for so long. Just barely starting to kind of feel a little bit older. The filmmaking's the pace is a little slower, and um, but it's a really uh, it's just it's like such a great movie and such an inventive movie. Frank Darabont is such a master filmmaker. I wish he'd, he'd do more. Mm-hmm. Love this cue. Do, Robert, you've worked with Thomas Newman before, right? Mm-hmm. On a couple films. Uh, do, do you remember the first film you worked with him on? Well, really the only one that I, we were working on that was a Fox film was Road to Perdition. Yeah. Oh, that's a great score. It's one of my favorite scores ever, and I don't ever know whether it's because I was part of seeing it or it's just genuinely one of the great scores, but it is a great score. That, that yeah. score thrills me. This Also, this movie, American Beauty, and we actually have it in our film here coming yep. up, maybe my favorite top three favorite cues in any movie is the plastic bag scene in American Beauty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The definition for me of kind of a melancholy that Thomas Newman certainly captures here, but yep, that's a really amazing piece of music. I remember. I, I hope I'm not revealing too much about uh, the first time I watched the movie through with our composer Ryan Taubert, um, who uh, did a fantastic job on a couple pieces of music, and you know we had a whole conversation about. He, he was like, "Oh, so you want the music to come right after the John Williams cue, then? <laughs> so you want me to follow John Williams?" <laughs> like, "Oh, sorry, Ryan, no but um, but he 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 did an excellent job with this. He had never seen American Beauty before. Oh, wow! And so he watched this, and he was like, "That's a pretty dramatic." plastic bag <laughs> I think this whole like, sequence is the layers of this sequence are incredible including how did you get the bag to stay in the frame I mean it's really well and that's amateur film make, filmmaking right there right yeah. somebody shot that that's just him the, the actor shooting that I think that's at least what the story is yeah. telling right me. right but what a I wonder if it's tied to a fishing line and they're just swirling oh, it around. Oh, that's really interesting. I'll bet they just had a couple big industrial fans. Wind kinda, machine? Yeah, it must have been. John Powell. The great, the legend, and there's Alfred Newman. I have that photograph. Robert, get in right my, up into that microphone. I have there. that photograph in my house, that one right there of Alfred Newman, the father of modern film composing, he's mm-hmm. called. And here's. Uh, one of the opening shots of Finding Nemo. Nemo. Such a the... sensitive and beautiful cue. Bridge of Spies. I think he was doing Bridge of Spies when we were finishing the film. We were real excited to see what that would sound like because it was the first score in a while that uh, Spielberg did not work with John Williams. I think it was the first one. Well, Color Purple he did with Quincy. Oh, that's right. Um, I think th- but that, was that the, might have been the only there's one. There's only though. three. Yeah, and then more recently, Alan Silvestri on uh, Ready Player One. But um, but we were really excited to see how Thomas Newman would do on Bridge of Spies, and the music for that was uh, it did not disappoint. I think it was nominated for a Academy Award. I too. loved that movie, I, but I'm a huge Tom Hanks. Trying fan, to figure so. his button out. I know. Not entirely sure. 
I'm not yeah. sure either. He has a collection. Those, all those toys on his desk, they're glued on, if I remember correctly. So, nice. so he doesn't bump it. But right. <laughs> then we started having the conversation. What happens if he moves? What a pain. Yeah. Oh, I have to airlift that desk out. Hadn't he just moved when? Yeah, when I think so. It, yeah, he was he was unpacking some things. Um, Love so this. I, I think so. Either that oh, or yeah. it was his collection of action figures from somewhere else that he was moving in. I didn't know this, and I think a lot of the Trevor people who Horn. watched this movie felt the same way because we got a lot of reaction from this. Hans, did did you <laughs> know that Hans? Matt that he was in the Buggles? Uh, I yeah, I I had come across that before. The guy playing the bass right there is Trevor Horn, the great uh huh record producer of. Yes, and Frankie goes to Hollywood. He's composed and a few yeah. uh, scores yeah. too, right? Yeah, he's worked on movie music. Gladiator, one of those uh, scores. I could that see we'll... this movie again. This is so good. Uh huh. Yeah, this is. It's one of my one of my favorite. It's it's my favorite Ridley Scott movie for sure. The Martian was pretty close too, though. The Martian was a great great film. Alien, no. And well, yeah, that too. Well, there's a lot. It's Ridley Scott. Oh, he has a bunch of movies that are fantastic. I cried at that part. <laughs> Not in our film. I'm glad we got the the little Lisa Gerard bit in there. I mean, this really yeah. kicked off such a huge trend in music toward those kind of ethereal, otherworldly vocals. Yeah. yeah. And she's scored a few films, I think, since then too. And is she, now isn't she going on tour? Yeah, she's on the World of Hans Zimmer tour that he's now, I guess, licensed out to that that orchestra. It's, to, it's touring without him, but yeah. playing playing all these themes. I wonder if they got the Lion King singers to do it too, because that was such a cool part oh, yeah. in, the, in the Hans Hans tour. Zimmer Live, which you could see on Netflix. Oh, here's what you're talking about, Robert. Yep, hand on the wheat field. Uh, Hans Zimmer's voice was uh, tricky for us. He has such a deep, deep voice. Maybe even deeper than your voice, Robert. Do you think? Oh, maybe not. Maybe not. But. <laughs> yeah, again, P- Peter made it so you could actually understand him. Yeah, I remember yeah. the first cuts we were watching on my, my home theater system. Yeah. You couldn't even understand Hans Zimmer in the cuts because yeah, it was so all low end. I love that sh- that tilting up shot of the Colosseum. And this keyboard, you'll see. Some people have commented about this before, but he's he's uh, he squeezed the keyboard onto the desk or into the desk in some little. It's compartment like dismantled, there. isn't it? So yeah, he, he took the the end of it off. You can see the you know machinery on the the edge of the keys. You'll see it, I think, coming up when we show the the other side of the keyboard. Kenny, you cut together this this pirates uh, montage here. Yeah, I, very artfully done with the moon. A, it turns to nighttime. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> this is the, coming up as my favorite transition of all the music. I was able to use a a clip. I know what you're talking about. It was oh, like, excuse cue. me, excuse me, really quick. The Batmobile's <laughs> here now. This cue really says a lot to me the rhythm under the bat, yeah. Batmobiles I remember seeing this in theaters the first time and just my adrenaline and heart pumping and I know you mentioned E.T. being such an effective musical ending but I think this, yeah. this has to rival it that, oh yeah it's up that there. high when you leave the theater it's so driven by the music here 
it is kind of kind of amazing the the impact that that movie had in uh, 2008 when that came out. And you know, of course, it, huge block. Everybody knew it was going to be a huge movie, no matter what, even if it sucked. But it ended up being great. <laughs> Such a cool bike. I want one of those. S video. Who's still using S video? This is an old clip of. Uh, oh, when oh they were okay. okay. Really it's important. It's not that archival footage. I think it's 2010 or so. <laughs> really <now>. important moment. <laughs> He's a. Wait, let me see if I can do it. He's a legend that's becoming more legendary. <laughs> That's not like Robert Kraft. That could be. Not Richard. Robert. Famous words. Beautiful cue and a beautiful moment with the top. Yeah, the, it, several of these. Christopher Nolan's a master of this. Yeah. The the end of the movie, Michael Caine. And same thing, you know, Nolan working with Hans Zimmer, they have an understanding Correct. of what the other one's going to do so, yeah. so much that they can tell a story and the other person can fill in whatever needs to go wherever it needs to go. But you know that this is a conversation on Inception. They had early on, you know, we need this to feel a certain way at the end of the movie. Is that a digital top? Because that's another perfect... I don't think so. That's an, it's like the plastic bag. Like yeah, How many wondering. takes with that pan down to the table... Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. I actually, in this sequence coming up, I like to watch Atticus while Trent is talking. Atticus looks slightly amused by all of it, <laughs> and it's just fun to watch him. When we pulled up to Trent's house, we all we were outside like, we're about to go into Trent Reznor's house. This is... This is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it is it, like weird with some of those people who you've heard their music forever and then you meet them at some point and it, especially if you're at their house. Yeah, you it's know, just and, like, like normal surrounding. Their kids just hanging out watching cartoons or whatever. That's exactly what it was. The dog was sleeping with his paws in the air on the couch. <laughs> Who's this guy? Now we're selling movie tickets. <laughs> this is really kind of one of the put the put the movie over, I thought. That's your signature look, Robert, the uh, sweater with the collar. Yeah. You know, I... I He's a trendsetter, man. It, well, it's also, I don't have a mirror in my house, so I just go <laughs> with what works. <laughs> See, here he is, yeah. just kind of... Uh. Trent gave us our only F-bomb in the movie. Yeah, nice. thanks for the uh, the M rating in Australia, Trent. <laughs> oh, yeah, we did, right? <laughs> yeah. We're we, up, we submitted it. We're with up like, there with movies that have, you know, like, I'm sure, I'm sure, people in Australia. Are like, well, what? Nate's makeout scene from earlier that yep. he shot is, uh, yeah, well, not, but not the current version. The original version oh, was yeah. a little more graphic. That's true. <laughs> we had to go. Uh, that might be a little risque for the brain <laughs> sequence. <laughs> they had really cool um, lighting in their studio. They could change. The temperature, I mean, nowadays it's kind of normal with the different hue bulbs, but they yeah. had the ambient ambient light changing so they could change the mood. In Kenny, Trent didn't Atticus. you uh, cry at Captain Phillips, Henry Jackman? A little bit. <laughs> I think I told you that. <laughs> you did. Oh, no, I said it at a Q&A. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe that's where I, yeah. Dude, Tom Hanks, man. That When he 
spoiler alert, it is he, a, he it gets is rescued. Yeah. And uh, that great moment, one. it was like a five-minute scene with no cuts, and he just delivered. Very radical. It's great the way this refreshes. I thought this was really... <laughs> perfect filmmaking on Fincher's part yeah that kind of coming in yeah so let's see got a teacup a skull something else there's on a, the table there there's a wagon in well there. look at I his, wish you could have got a shot of that Joker his sketch. lamps his lamps oh, yeah. are skulls tell the tell the Joker sketch story Matt um, yeah, well he didn't have it there but he was talking about how the uh, the original uh, look of the Joker came from a Francis Bacon painting that Zimmer had on his uh, taped to the side of his computer. And uh, when he and Nolan met about something very early on in The Dark Knight, um, Nolan said, "Oh, what's that's that you got there? Is that something that can?" And the story goes that that and it looks very similar. We have a post on our uh, on our website score-movie.com. If you you scroll back or or Google search Hans Zimmer, you know Joker. Uh, look, but um, but it looks very similar what Heath Ledger ended up looking like, and this painting, and it it uh, was because Nolan and Zimmer met early on in the process, which is kind of a an interesting way again of collaborating with a composer, um, and that affecting the art somewhere else in the movie that has nothing to do with the music. Oh, this is that scene. So if you look in the background on the left, you can see a light. There was actually an interview being conducted in the other room, and this was Alex Miski, one of the other cinematographers. Yep. Just happened to see them discussing something and picked up a camera and shot this whole sequence, and it wasn't really planned or nobody was... The the rest of the crew was in the other room conducting an interview. Yeah, it was just him shooting all this stuff. He did an amazing job finding this moment, which really captures how one little thing can change the sound and in a big way. I mean, it sounds so much different when they use the fingernails. I wondered a few times, we never referred or defined what Q meant early in the I think we realized after we were done with the movie and we thought, oh, crap, is that going to make any sense when someone sees it? I guess you can put... You can put that together you can pretty infer easily. It contextually, but, I remember yeah. thinking like, should we do vocabulary on the screen or something That's early on? But but it would have felt weird, and yeah. we decided not to do anything like that. And the payoff wouldn't be that great either. Yeah. Here's what a cue is, and then an hour later, final cue. The word of the day much. is cue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like Sesame Street. Exactly. Word, word and letter of the day. This is another great Misky shot here. Yeah, Dutch Boom. angle. And there's Nate in the uh, top right of the screen. You see, shooting the reverse angle. We, I like the I, way. I, does everyone make a cameo at some point in this? Uh, no, you cut me out of everything. Thank you. Are you really not anywhere nope. in this? I'm not. There was one part that <laughs> and John. I, was, I know you're not. Yeah. There was one part I was in, and you were like, "Ah, we got to cut that part down." I'm like, "Oh, convenient." <laughs> so uh, now, in 20 years, I'll never know what I. You're still like. in a reflection somewhere, though, aren't you? No, really, I don't think so. Oh. I mean, I've only seen this movie 170,000 right. times, so I, I could have missed it. There's Howard Shore. You met him up uh, in New York. Oh, yeah. That was a funny day, upstate. too. His his art studio is really echoey, and um, it's, it's upstate New York in this really small little area, and it's really quiet. But on that particular day, there was a farmer's market across the street with a live band, and we had to go... <laughs> Of course. We had to go slip them a 20 and say, can you guys not play for like 30 minutes? For 20 bucks, we'll not play for three days. <laughs> <laughs> we're musicians. <laughs> Is this the same studio yes. that we were in? Because I don't recognize yeah. it. It was the other room where we... Uh, we oh, I see. 
Yeah, Steve Jablonski's studio, um, which is in a really cool spot. He's right next door to James Newton Howard. Um, and uh, Around the just corner down the street from, yeah, Hans, a whole bunch of them. Hans. And uh, Chris Beck is not far away. Yeah. Matt, is your cameo was just right before this as we walk into. Oh, I thought you were saying studio. that was his cameo, one of the Transformers. <laughs> Isn't is it, Matt? Yeah, when when uh, Jablonski walks oh, into I'm his in the studio, background. you're right. in the yep. background setting something. And up. so so is uh, uh, Mubarak. Who, oh yes. who came along with us for that interview? One of our uh, Kickstarter donator producers. Yep. Who is coincidentally, I think, the Prince of Kuwait. Yeah, and we found out has a ton of Instagram followers. Yeah, and he's he like and a, Steve were chatting. He was like, "Are you ready to get a bunch of follows? Because you probably will." He's like, "I'm going to tag <laughs> you in like, a oh, post, okay. and I have a million followers, so you might start <laughs> right. seeing some activity on your phone." Uh, <laughs> some close-ups there of the keyboard. I remember we were looking for. Uh, a couple shot. A couple of those shots are not the actual shot of him hitting the keys, and we. Uh, it, it was all there, but we had to sequence it together. Double. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, we we tried to sync it up with those shots so that you could tell when he was stopping the music, so it didn't. Ju- the music just didn't end suddenly, and you were like, "What just happened to the music?" But I've, something to show the ending of it. I think this was the first sequence of the movie that was put together completely. We left this, and we went. We, we left the shoot, and then a couple of days later, you sent me, and you were like, what do you think of this? And I watched it, and I was like, this movie's going to be awesome. If we can <laughs> get more stuff like that. this. I don't know why I feel like I just thought I it was so cool, fact. and it, it, it illustrated so much the importance of what music does, and it was just the way you see the sliders going up and, and feeling the difference with the instruments coming in is just really cool. Yep. It was good music in that, that moment, too. Remember this part? We originally were using the whiz. This whisk. is my favorite look. They look at each other and they kind of, hey, man, yeah, I'm cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm cool, too. <laughs> See we, you, dude. We had the Wiz Khalifa song from the soundtrack in here originally, and it didn't really hit home. Didn't we? This. We blended it somehow, right? Well, because that's, we that's, out... that's what's playing in the movie right there. Right. Is the Wiz Khalifa. But somewhere we... we... We moved that we, you know, we dissolved from one into the yeah, other. Yeah, we tried to blend it and it, it really didn't. No. With what he was talking about, it didn't. But illustrate. the end of that movie, I, I remember it got a lot of praise because um, Paul Walker, you know, there was that freak accident. Um, and, and this was a movie that came out. I think his brother shot a lot of the, the other scenes so that they could finish doing Furious 7. Yeah, it was like a body and, uh, double. The end, you know, it's, it's a, it's a goofy, you know, action you know car movie that's not a super it doesn't take itself that seriously but the ending of that was uh was like a pretty touching little yeah, it was and powerful. tasteful ending and uh you know with the Paul and uh and Vin Diesel the two kind of stars of the series uh driving off different directions it was kind of a little thing so anyway Brian talked about that we thought that that belonged somewhere in the film. This part right here, it was so dark in that theater, the the colorists were able to tweak that, but it was so hard to even see if Brian was in focus or what was happening. Yeah. As you can imagine in a movie theater, I mean, the lights weren't on. That was all in post lightened up a little bit because he was creeping watching people watch a movie there. (laughs) I think there's a big laugh coming up Uh, in this sequence too. There is. (laughs) This is one of our... One of our bigger laughs in the movie. 
And then I do something that's slightly odd. <laughs> slightly embarrassing. Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> you could see the Ant Man ad on the Yeah. The first Ant Man. <laughs> if they're humming or whistling. <laughs> the really interesting thing, so he mentioned in the interview that that he likes to go to movie theater, and, and some different composers have mentioned this too, but they like to go you know, sit in with a regular audience and see how those people react. And from, from watching our documentary play all over the place, there are certain things that everyone's going to chuckle at, and there are certain things where one audience might really enjoy it and one audience might not, it's not funny at all to them. Yeah, depending on the, the age of the audience, we notice in different different film and festivals. And I'm not sure what it is with you know certain regional things, too, that seemed like... Um, that seemed like, like, I remember a few did not find the... Uh, the uh, Mark Mothersbaugh comment about it looking oh. suggestive looking. Yeah. Several audiences <laughs> were kind of like, hmm. <laughs> this and then, offends oh, that, me. But then and a we, lot of others. We would always look a... at each other like, didn't hit here, I guess. <laughs> no, I guess it didn't work. <laughs> but it's interesting to see how stuff lands because, you know, you edit stuff for days I've and hours and hours. Where a film that you make in the United States that has a big response, you show overseas and you go to one of those screenings, they don't get it. Doesn't land. Wow, yeah. Humor doesn't land. How cool was this part? We're like, Hans, do you, are you working on anything? And he's like, I could just play something. And he started playing, and it mm-hmm. was like, is this happening right now? We're yeah. just, he's just sketching. And our, our audio was not good for this. <laughs> but we were Oh, like, yeah, thanks what are you, to Peter. What are you going to do? Cause the, the original, um, we weren't tapped into his board, so you could hear like his fingers hitting the plastic keys. Yeah, the and, little clicking. Yeah, which we're just recording that, through yeah. the air. Peter did some magic on that to make it, because it was a little distracting from what he was playing. Yeah, and you can if you listen closely, you can still hear it. But it, it, Peter really worked some magic on it. But yeah, it was one of those things where it, we thought early on there were a couple things we wanted to ask composers to try to put together get their version of a certain thing give them a framework and say you know hey a a, a pirate sound what does that sound like play <laughs> like just just a free just to kind of tap into the way that they hear something a little bit differently and um and you know some composers were able to do that and some were were uh they needed more than just they needed a picture they needed mm. something else but um when somebody like Hans Zimmer says i i got something it's an interesting small little insight into the way that he hears you know the way music should be which is a, a really interesting thing that we captured there almost entirely accidentally uh this is ryan talbert writing this amazing ending cue amazing. which is also our show theme for score the podcast we just stripped a couple of the stems off of it yeah i think it's just the it's just the rhythm and a couple other things here no strings no Oh, and, it's a great sequence. And his whole soundtrack is uh, is on iTunes. You can order it there and support him. All of that uh, goes to him. It doesn't go to, to us or any... I guess iTunes gets a cut, but aside from that, uh, it all goes to Ryan. So go out, support him too. I love how this kind of quickly takes you through a journey of what we just experienced, yeah. but it feels complete now. And the music does such a good job of making you feel like triumphant. I actually like the edit right to the final screen. It feels so tied to the music. Yeah. 
That's the first time you see the title right here at the end. It was originally at the, the beginning with the Rocky sequence, and yep. this is so much more powerful. Nice. Yeah, we were kind of... Uh, I, I was a little nervous about not showing the title at the start, but then I'm like, Yay. you know what? Anybody who's going to play this knows what it is at the start. Yay. We'll hold that for the end. <laughs> Yay. Yay. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of people who message us and say, there's nothing about James Horner in the film, and I think they don't stick around through the I credits. Know. Oh, I know. That's really disappointing when audiences get up. I've been in those, and they're halfway up the aisle. Yeah. And then they turn Well, and around. then we, we told a lot of, even the some of the film festivals, we'd be like, don't put the lights up because there's a scene, and some of them would do it, and then they'd go, oh, oh, and they'd turn it back <laughs> down. But I think nowadays, it's almost become customary to wait through the credits. When I was a kid, you'd go to the theater and you would just leave. But there's so many yeah. things after the credits now that it, it's become a thing to just wait. So more and more people. I think do. more in L.A. too than when you're in the middle of the country. I, don't, I think there might be a little more appreciation for the, the craft. Oh, there definitely is. Yeah, just the credits in general. But yeah, the way Marvel has trained people to stick around for certain things. I feel like some people hang out a little bit longer now. Buddy, it's you. <laughs> this was such a nice touch and a great way too. I mean, we had so many people to thank in the credits and and a great way to get audiences to stick around while those names uh rolled yeah yeah, yeah and there's a lot look at that just so many around the world thanks to everyone if you're listening and you're one of those people the kickstarter and the indiegogo without without everybody's donations it really is amazing we're now in <laughs> this era where you can have a th- you know 1800 people from around the world help to create something and you know, like th- this, this movie took a lot of uh, obviously time, but also just the the resources required, and everybody who pre-orders something and doesn't know what the movie's going to end up like, uh, but really like the idea of it. It's it's amazing. We're now in this era where that kind of coordination can happen, and yeah. it enables a, a film to be made. The internet really is a powerful thing. Of I connecting. never knew Leonardo DiCaprio was such a good artist. That's <laughs> uh, one of the other amazing parts about this film is that you learn things uh, about particular actors. Yeah. Really good with charcoal. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That's a nice button. I think on this. the original clip had a little had a little nudity in it. We had to zoom in and oh. crop that out for this. Uh I think I think uh Jim Cameron covers that. So we keep our. our it's rating. you, buddy. And uh, Jim, I'm in this picture, but we <laughs> edited it out. It's, we did. <sighs> I think you're right on the left. I think we would have seen the side of your head. Left on the right. Had. Jim sent us that picture. At the end, didn't he? No, I did. No, that was oh, Robert. Ro- oh, Robert sent that picture. Yeah. yeah. And you're in it. I'm in it. Yeah. Somebody. Oh, I think I'm my, sorry. My assistant at the time took a picture of myself, James. Was that Horn that was Avatar, and, right? Yeah, standing outside right. the studio. And you guys, you said, do you have any picture of Jim and James? I said, I have one iPhone photo. Yeah. Oh, with yeah. With me in it thinking, yeah, I'm in it. But it was I... one of those last, you know, photos of, yeah, of the right. two of them. And you were in it as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I apologize the, for I'm cutting you the, out of it. I'm on but... the cutting room floor. I've always <laughs> wanted to be one of those guys. Who say, yeah. Well, we step on you every time it. we walk into the <laughs> cutting right. room. Right. Right. Well, um, 
I hope this uh, this gave our our listeners a little something extra they didn't get from uh, from the the movie the first time they watched. Yeah, this is a special little episode, and uh, we're going to continue, of course, every Tuesday bringing you new episodes of Score the Podcast. So make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and uh, rate and review if you like what you're hearing. And uh, you can follow us at on Twitter at Score the Podcast as well. Every week we lately have been giving away a prize almost every week because yeah. of the name that score success stories yeah, we've been you having. Can test your knowledge of uh, famous scores and see if you can play along. And uh, yeah, if if somebody runs the table, gets them all, then we uh, we give away a prize. So uh, hopefully you watched along with us, or if you plan to, you can get the film at uh, score-movie.com. Yeah, our collector's edition there. It's a Blu-ray and a DVD that are in the same same collector's edition box there. Um, so you can get it there. I'll leave an autograph also, for you. <laughs> also available for those that want to go even deeper are Score the Interviews Volumes 1 and 2. Yeah, so the there you go. Oh, John, yes. I, I almost forgot. That is true. The raw uh, interviews of many of uh, what you saw in the film. And uh, in the book, uh, there's a handful of things that people have been saying. I really want to get, you know, if there's more to this this uh, this movie that I can plug into. So a lot of that we've tried to make Who available. Who do I talk to to get that Score hoodie that's on, uh, there's a sweatshirt on the website i think you talked to paypal (laughs) (laughs) i think you gotta go through the website mr paypal it's mr paypal to you Uh, well with that uh if you stuck around through the end thanks uh for tuning in and watching the film with us this was fun for us we haven't done this really um so john thanks for joining us on the podcast this special edition i'd like to thank my co-hosts of this incredible event Kenny Holmes, Mash Raider, and <laughs> Match Raider, Jonathan Wilbanks. Jonathan Wilbanks. Thanks for joining us on our commentary. Yeah.